0: Engage quantum drive. And welcome to Quantum Drive. I'm Rob. I'm Katie. And our ongoing mission is to discuss every episode of The Orville.
1: Today, we'll be discussing Season 3, Episode 2, Shadow Realms, which was written by Brandon Braga and Andre Bormanis and directed by John Cassar.
0: We have no new reviews this week, but remember, if you would like to leave a review for the podcast, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star written review, and we might read it on the show. We do, however, have an email.
1: We have an email?
0: We have an email. Oh, the I'm excited about this. excitement on your face. Yeah. I know, okay. literally. I'm like,
1: wait, okay. I'm, I'm listening.
0: Okay, this is a good one. I like this a lot. Okay. So it starts off saying, I am Laszlo from Europe. Hi, Laszlo. I love your podcasts. As a huge Orville fan, I have been trying to find good sources on the internet that talk about the series, and you are definitely the biggest gem I have found so far.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: I am almost through with all of your episodes, and honestly, they always make me smile and laugh a lot.
1: That makes me so happy.
0: You definitely possess and produce a great balance between thorough, rational analysis of the episodes and personal opinions, feelings, and insights. It's simply very entertaining to listen to the two of you. It feels as though you were good friends of mine just telling me about something we all like. And just in general, there's a great back and forth conversational chemistry between the two of you. One thing I would love for you to maybe mention about the series, because I haven't heard it so far, is the funny inconsistency about a moneyless galactic society. They don't use money, yet they present things like Priya being an antiques dealer for the highest bidder, importing expensive beverages for the bar on the Orville, and Ed offering to the Navarians to go nuts on the M&Ms because they are on the house. These all seem quite illogical if you can materialize almost everything. Anyway, thanks, and wishing your podcast a big, shiny future.
1: Okay, that's like the best email ever. It's great. Yeah, it makes my heart warm. I'm really glad that Laszlo's enjoying the podcast, but also it makes me happy that they feel like they're sitting and talking with us about the show.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the whole point, right?
1: Yeah, I just really love that. Thank you for your email, Laszlo. And I have to say, to the point at the end of the email, my headcanon Mm -hmm. is that kind of because you can synthesize everything, maybe getting those imported specialty items holds greater weight because it's like, oh, this is actually made by someone's hands. Mm. What's the money system, though? Are they bartering?
0: So it's strange because when they bring up the concept in money and majority rule, especially, Mm -hmm. they were like so confused by like what money is. And these people use a monetary system. But like Laszlo is saying, to their point, They have mentioned things like that. And they even I didn't bring it up last episode, but I did notice something in that as well that I was like, that's odd for a society that doesn't use money for that to be a normal saying to throw around. So like in Electric Sheep, there's the part where Yafit talks about getting big bonuses for their work.
1: Oh, yeah. While
0: they're doing the refit and John goes the checks in the mail and that's money references. That doesn't make sense for their society. Why would they have those sayings?
1: Because humans like to repeat things. Well, it's also being written, obviously, by people from our society. And it's easily relatable for mm-hmm. us as watchers, but there is a lot of stuff that comes up in the show where it doesn't quite make full sense of like, why would they reference money? But I guess it is just a relatable topic to talk about yeah. from someone who's sitting on their couch who does work a nine to five. Maybe it's like sayings, you know how like there's just colloquial sayings that get passed down generation to generation, True. like two birds, one stone. Where does that come from?
0: That's how I had and a lot of that stuff. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It could just be like a saying like somewhere in the past they were like we should be getting bonuses or something and that just became this big idiom that's like now (laughs) in society.
0: And as far as we know it's the union that doesn't have like a monetary system. Yeah. We don't know what the situation is with the bar. Like even though Mm -hmm. they're operating on a union ship doesn't mean that that species of alien whatever Alex is doesn't have to buy from whoever owns those drinks. That could be someone outside the union that they're buying things from and even with Priya But so far in the future, we don't know what their situation is either.
1: Yeah, I think the thing that's nice about sci-fi is it's so easy to kind of find the Mm loopholes. And yeah, I actually have thought about like the other alien species on the ship, their home planet, like say Mm Zalea. They probably have a money system there, just assuming.
0: Very possible.
1: Yeah, but they might not as well. But I think it is very like case by case. And then my brain also does maybe the synthesizer can't accurately make some of these things. Or it doesn't taste as good as if you got it from the home planet. So I don't know. Maybe there's just little things.
0: Yeah, because in that case, why even have bottles in the bar instead of just synthesizing per order?
1: Yeah, which makes more sense when you have a synthesizer. I do wonder about the money thing, but I do feel like I have enough headcanon to explain all of it in a way that I'm satisfied.
0: I'm even okay with things just getting passed down over time and people forgetting what it actually means. They just kind of yeah. say it.
1: I'm the same way because we can identify it in our current generation mm-hmm. and century. <laughs> so it makes it easier for us watching, but I can also be like, oh yeah, that's just a saying that got passed down yeah. into the very far future. <laughs> like checks in the mail. I know what that means, but a, you know on a union ship, it doesn't really mean anything besides words. So. Sure.
0: Just means I owe you one, whatever.
1: Yeah, I owe you one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you, Laszlo, for the email. If anyone else would like to email us, you can do so by sending an email to quantumdrive at thegeekgeneration.com. You can always find us on Twitter at quantumdrivepod. You can join our Discord to discuss the podcast and the show at thegeekgeneration.com slash Discord. And if you'd like access to Mark's alternate one-sentence reviews and other bonus content, you can support the show on Patreon at thegeekgeneration.com slash support. Before we get into the episode discussion, Katie has trivia.
1: I do. And it's, you know, a new episode. So I'm just like doing research on my phone after I notice things in the show. So I don't know. I'm kind of excited because I feel like this is the fun facts that we're finding. And it just feels kind of neat to be doing that. Yeah. So the first one, which I thought was interesting, is Dr. Finn says everything forbidden is sweet. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's just a very poignant line. And I wonder if there's any background in it. That's in the scene where she's sharing a drink with Kelly. And speaking of idioms, it's an idiom from the Bible. Oh, Yeah. So it's when God told Adam to not have an apple. And then Satan was like, it's the best apple in the world. And then, you know, the story, they ate the apple, (laughs) they got kicked out. And I thought this was interesting because this show has krill in it. And I mm-hmm. thought it was a parallel to how the krill have a holy book as well, the Ankana. Oh. And it discussed demons in that episode. And Satan's like, hey, eat this apple. So I just, th- I noticed that and I was like, oh, I think this is kind of foreshadowing a little bit or.
0: I like that connection. That makes thematical sense to me.
1: I really liked that line and I didn't realize it's an actual idiom that people say. So. Nice. In the scene where Ed Kelly and Admiral Christie are talking to Admiral Halsey, you can spot a model of the Wright Flyer, also known as the Kitty Hawk, which first sustained flight on December 17th, 1903, invented, obviously, and flown by the Orville brothers. Wilbur? Wait, was it Orville and Wilbur?
0: Orville and Wilbur right?
1: Wait, I just realized why did the Orville brother get to be the name of the ship? What about what happened to Wilbur?
0: <laughs> I mean, you can't really,
1: can you imagine the show called The Wilbur?
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's the sister ship, clearly. That, that's,
1: yeah, that's, there's gotta be a Wilbur. <gasps> Do you think there's a Wilbur in the fleet?
0: If there's not, there's a fan fiction on the way.
1: I, yes. If you find a fan fiction, it's by me. Um, <laughs> But obviously, Orville and Wilbur Wright pioneered the era of aviation. So the name of the spaceship, the Orville. Yeah. I thought it was neat because they didn't have to put a little Wright Flyer in the corner. No, but that stuff's so nice. Yeah. The details. I have to talk about this. There's the pep talk Ed gives on the bridge before they enter the expanse. He is quoted saying, may the force be with you. So now we know Star Wars is canon in the universe.
0: Heck yeah. They've actually mentioned Yoda before too. So
1: yeah, I just felt like this was another confirmation. Yep. And I know there's controversy about a Star Trek's in this universe <laughs> as well. But yes, yeah, so he does give a pep talk where he says, may the force be with you. In the credits, one actor who is playing an alien is credited as an arachnid alien, which confirms, I think, that the aliens have a spider-like heritage. They also look like spiders. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But I thought it was interesting because I'm like combing the credits. And I just saw that it said arachnid alien. And I was like, hey. So I think that there's some sort of spider heritage to that alien species. Yeah,
0: I was hoping we were going to get a name for him. But I don't think there's any to be found, especially when the credits just say arachnid alien.
1: I do feel like there will be more of them in the future. I just have a feeling because at the end, what he says.
0: I can see that too, for sure. Yeah.
1: Brandon Braga has said that this episode was inspired in part by asking the question, what are the krill afraid of? which is actually a very interesting discussion to start. And I personally love that we're learning more about the krill in this episode, even though they're not fully in the whole episode, but we learn about the background a little bit about this part of space and what they're afraid of, which these aliens are pretty scary. They're terrifying. So I just thought it was interesting that what inspired this episode was asking the question, what are the krill afraid of? I love that. There's also some guest stars in this episode, notably James Reed, who played Admiral Christie, and he has an extensive list of credits. He starred in many soap operas like Days of Our Lives and General Hospital. He was in Charmed, where he played Victor Bennett, and it's the original Charmed. Yes. Not the reboot. He's also in Legally Blonde as Elle's father. Yeah. <laughs> he has a guest spot on Star Trek Voyager and a mini series that seems very popular entitled North and South, mm-hmm. which I have not watched, but I'm intrigued by And then as I was looking stuff up about him on Twitter, Seth McFarlane gave a shout out to James for being on the show. And James replied, thanks, Seth. Amazed at all you do and all you do so well. Working on the Orville New Horizon was an absolute gas. If I can't ride a horse, put me on a starship. Heck yeah. I just like that.
0: Couple things with the Star Trek connection. So for Voyager fans, if they're wondering what exactly he played, there was a seventh season two-parter called Workforce. Mm -hmm. And he played I might pronounce it wrong here because I haven't watched this episode in a long time, called Jaffin. Mm -hmm. And then in that movie, North and South, you mentioned. Yeah. He has a brother in that movie who is played by Jonathan Frakes.
1: (gasps) Sometimes when I look up guest stars, it just unlocks all this other stuff I want to watch now. And that makes me really want to watch North and South. It looks like it's a miniseries, and I think it's based on a book. I need to confirm that, (laughs) but I... I
0: (laughs) Yeah, I didn't go too deep on the origin of it.
1: But I definitely think that's on my list of to watch now, especially, you know, I love Jonathan Frakes. So there's another actor, John Fleck, who played one of the Krill Ambassadors at the beginning of the episode, and he has been credited to many films and television, notably True Blood, Weeds, Star Trek Enterprise, and Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Nice. Yeah. Simon Templeton, who I believe played the other Krill ambassador, has a very interesting voice acting career and has been in very popular video games like Mass Effect, Uncharted, Dead Space, and was on the TV show Just Shoot Me.
0: I've definitely heard that name. I wouldn't be able to place the face especially based on all the Krill makeup, but yeah, <laughs> I've heard the name for sure.
1: Both John Fleck and Simon Templeton, they had an extensive list of credits on Internet Movie Database, nice. so they've done a lot of work over the years. And then last but not least, Nurse Park is back. <laughs> and that Nurse uh, Park. The <laughs> old Nurse Park, who's played by Gavin Lee. Mm-hmm. And it begs this question at the end of this episode. Did he survive meeting the arachnid alien? since we never saw what happened to him? And I just really hope. I'm rooting for Nurse Park. I am too. Because it was nice to see him. It
0: looks unlikely, but. <laughs> yeah.
1: So yeah, that's the guest stars and fun facts for this episode.
0: All right. Let's get into Shadow Realms then. We begin with a meeting in the briefing room where Ed shares the exciting news that they've been assigned to transport Admiral Christie from Outpost 35 to a Krill vessel, where negotiations will begin to allow Union access to the Naklav sector, which is on the other side of Krill space. This would allow the Union to explore regions of space that they've never had access to before. As the ship that made the Lokvi Pact possible, there's a good chance that the Orville will be the first allowed through. Tala also notices that Claire seems off, but she insists that she simply didn't sleep well.
1: It was nice seeing them in the briefing room all having like that, hey, this is what's going on. Mm -hmm. I have to say so far this season, Claire, I just love that we're learning more about Claire.
0: Oh yeah, these first two episodes are very Claire heavy.
1: Yeah, so I've been enjoying that and... I like how they started it with the mystery of, like, why is Claire off? Like, they didn't just flat out say, your ex-husband's coming aboard.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. I love the efficiency of this setup. We're 90 seconds in. I checked the timer on the episode. We're 90 seconds in, and they've already established that there's an exciting exploration mission ahead. Mm -hmm. They're continuing to evolve the relationship with the Krill, and they're creating some intrigue around Dr. Finn. Mm -hmm. All that in 90 seconds.
1: I got excited, too, that we're seeing more Krill right yeah. out the gate. And it was a great way to start the episode. And then you're also like, but what? what's off? It like makes you interested in the episode because you're like, why is Claire off? Okay, there's a new Admiral we're meeting, mm-hmm. and the Krill are involved. Yeah. So I'm on board immediately. <laughs> Agreed. Once aboard the Orville, Admiral Paul Christie makes his way to sick bay to see Claire. We learn here that the two have some history, with the Admiral being one of Claire's former professors. As the conversation continues, Paul seems eager to catch up, while Claire wants to keep things professional. Their chat ends with Admiral Christie giving an apology that's apparently 25 years late. Oof. Oof.
0: This was uh, a nice way to build up the intrigue. And again, didn't give us all the information yet. Just enough to be like, clearly there's something. These two have history. What exactly is the connection? We're theorizing, but we don't know the exact answer yet.
1: I was also like a professor. So, like, I did the whole thing where I'm like, was he a creep? Like, <laughs> when he was a teacher? and Because you you get the illusion, like, there is some sort of relationship mm-hmm. to it. So, I did have a question about the professionalism portion. But maybe in the future, that's okay.
0: <laughs> Look, I'm not here to judge anybody for no. anything.
1: They were adults. I think, like, it was later school.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. It was like, I think they said it was within the last year of her graduating.
1: And she did say they kept it secret. So it's probably not as well accepted in the future as it is nowadays either. Mm -hmm.
0: The Orville has rendezvoused with the Krill vessel and a reception is taking place in the mess hall to welcome the Krill representatives. After the Admiral gives a speech, Claire approaches Kelly with a bottle of wine and asks if she'd like to join her elsewhere, to which Kelly happily agrees.
1: This calls back to like season one and season two when there would be like Kelly having drinks with someone. Mm -hmm. And I did like that. I felt that this episode was lighter, obviously, than the first episode.
0: At least in the beginning, yes.
1: (laughs) In the beginning. um, (laughs) There were more, like, jokes peppered in. Totally. And I did enjoy the Krill being like, why are we doing this? What is this?
0: It almost came across, like, illogical Vulcan attitude. Yeah,
1: Very much like, your customs are weird. Yeah. But we're here. But it's neat to see because the Krill are such a big adversary. The Kalon obviously complicated that. Mm -hmm. I enjoy it because you can still tell there's like hostility there, but they're trying. Yeah. And I feel like that was conveyed pretty well about tolerating a reception, which honestly, (laughs) like does anybody actually like going to a reception?
0: Not Kelly. She was ready to get out of there.
1: (laughs) I don't think I've like those formal events never seem like people really ever enjoy them.
0: No, they feel very forced.
1: So I'm. A, I, why do we do them? Like as a society and in, clearly in the future, we still do them.
0: Because people don't know what else to do, sadly.
1: <sighs> Not everything needs fanfare. Yeah. Sometimes it's just nice to have, I guess, I don't know, maybe Bordis got his corner piece at this party.
0: <laughs> Although <laughs> some of the crew might see it as a welcome escape from their daily drudgery.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I do feel like in general, maybe it's just like a break in the routine.
0: I understand the need to sometimes schedule your social time. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I do, too. I, I just, I don't know that a reception would be a preferred Agreed. method of social interaction. <laughs>
0: Agreed. I had two other things that came to mind during the scene, too. So, as we get the titles for this episode, and we go through that shot of the asteroids, like, parting, as they're yeah. revealing the ships that are rendezvousing with each other, my first thought was, the visual effects department did not have to go that hard. But they did, and I appreciate it.
1: yeah. I noticed that scene, too, because it was like, ooh, an asteroid belt. But the thing is, I made a note as well, the CGI and special effects look really good. Mm-hmm. I watched another show recently, and it's comparable probably budget-wise. And I just was like, the graphics in the Orville look better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it just looks real. And that's what I appreciate. You don't sit there and you're like, oh, that's a fake asteroid it looks genuinely like someone filmed through an asteroid belt.
0: Absolutely, yeah. The movement of the shot and everything is so wonderful, and it's almost like a gate opening revealing the two ships and stuff. So wonderfully done. The other thought I had, and I know we've seen large amounts of the crew together before, but I can't remember another time where we saw this many Union officers in such close proximity, and it never occurred to me just how rare the blue command uniforms are. Mercer, Grayson, and Bordas, I think, are the only ones on the entire ship wearing them. And it really stands out in the scene.
1: This was the first episode that, because I know the costumes and the uniforms got an upgrade this season, that I really noticed the details in the uniforms as well from, like, the badges. And the admirals, they're not shoulder, are they shoulder pads? <laughs> they're not shoulder pads. I know what you mean. The shoulder adornments. Yeah. I don't know if we just haven't had a lot of close-up shots of admirals so far, but just noticing the pattern on mm. the shoulder adornments. And there's not a lot of people wearing blue on the ship. I've also noticed that. This is later in the episode, but there's a red shirt who gets... Mm-hmm. And I just thought that might have been intentional. But yeah, I I feel like this was the first episode I sat down and actually noticed a lot of the details in the costuming and yeah. the new uniforms. But I guess I never really look at rank too much, which I probably should pay attention to more. Yeah,
0: I don't either. Not so much rank, but definitely like color of uniform. Mm -hmm. And I know we compare to Star Trek a lot, but even like in Trek, there were lesser ranked people who were still wear red, even though they weren't the captain or the commander. But in the Union, it seems very different where only your top three officers get blue, nobody else.
1: Yeah, which blue is kind of a royal color, if I remember correctly, too. So I don't know if that's intentional.
0: Purple, the most royal, but that's for admirals.
1: See, I wonder if that was, like, that had to have been intentional.
0: They get closer to purple as they go up. They get
1: closer to purple as you go. It's like a black belt in karate, but it's just like you get more royal.
0: Well, now we have questions for the costume department.
1: (laughs) You know what? Like, honestly, I really would love to pick Mary Chisholm's ideas and process through this. Oh, for sure. This is another episode where you get a better look at Isaac's uniform in the dark and just the lights that are on it. Like, I was just living for that because... I love lights. Clearly, if you can see my background ever, uh, I love LEDs and just the fact, I'm like, he's got light. He's lighting up the way. I just love seeing Isaac's upgrade. Yeah. Just everything looks really clean this season. For sure. Costuming-wise. At their private party, Claire confides in Kelly and reveals that she was previously married to Admiral Christie. The doctor goes on to say that it fell apart because she was looking for a partner while he was looking for a bed warmer. She gives him an ultimatum and he walked away. Hmm. Damn.
0: <laughs> that can be the result of the relationship starting out the way it did, like professor, student. Yeah. That's a rocky ground to form a real relationship. I know they've worked for some people in real life, but that's a rocky foundation that is very likely to end in something like this.
1: Two things that I notice about this scene in particular that I enjoy that Claire and Kelly have this close relationship mm-hmm. and getting to see them be human more than just people who are working on the ship. So I enjoyed that. And I really like the writing in this scene in particular. It feels more philosophical and like the idiom about everything forbidden is sweet. Mm -hmm. But then there was another thing that Claire said, oh, it's from a book. And she said this quote and the amount of time Mark and I took trying to find if this book was a real thing and if that quote came from something. So if anybody knows, please tweet at the podcast or tell me if that quote is from an actual book. But I just really enjoyed the writing in this scene in particular and the back and forth that they had.
0: Do you remember the quote?
1: I can pull it up on my phone. Okay. So the quote was, it is only with greatest care that memory can be kept from becoming a prison or a gallows. And Claire said, I read this in a very old book. Okay. And I found something that was, it kept pulling up Oscar Wilde, but I couldn't find if it was... Something that Oscar Wilde wrote, or I couldn't attribute it to it. But I think in general, because I was like, oh, this could be a fun, fun fact. And I could not locate it. And it also could have just been a mechanism for the writers to be like, here's a poignant thought we want to get across. Mm -hmm. And we're just going to frame it in the sense of like, Claire read this once.
0: If anyone out there knows what that's from, head us up, let us know.
1: Please let me know. It's killing me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Mercer Grayson and Christy joined the Krill representatives in the briefing room for the negotiations. Their terms include extraction rights to a resource on a Union planet, allowing only one Union ship passage along a specific route, and the installation of a tracking beacon to be placed on the ship while in their territory. When the Admiral mentions that they plan on exploring the Kalar Expanse, the Krill warn them that it's a domain of evil, where demons possess the souls of those who stray within their reach. Before the Krill leave the Orville, they say a prayer for its crew, or as they clarify... For those who are about to die,
1: it was neat seeing them speak. Okay, it's not krillian.
0: Krillian? <laughs> krillian? I, uh, yeah, I don't know.
1: I added Zelayan to that,
0: so it. <laughs>
1: but I do feel like hearing that prayer was neat, but also was kind of like a veiled threat, just because of their past experience with the krill.
0: Yeah, I mean, the krill work on two levels.
1: Yeah, it was just interesting because, like, oh, it's a prayer about for those about to die. Which was clearly about going into the Expanse. Right, right. But I also was like, but are they also threatening that they're going to kill (laughs) them?" Because I was like, maybe the Krill are going to show up and be like, you're in the Expanse and then somehow blow up the ship and be like, see, we warned you, but it was actually the Krill the whole time. Which reminds me, and I don't want to forget, but at the end of the episode, we see that ship with the red of the alien creatures Mm -hmm. or whatever. It looked very Krillian.
0: I agree. Just red. Yeah.
1: I'll just mention that now because I don't want to forget. But because the ship design, I was like, it looks like a Krill ship that has morphed into an alien version of a Krill ship. So yeah, the Krill I love and I want to learn a lot more about them. I liked the prayer. I love horror. Mm -hmm. So this episode is right on. (laughs) Yeah. Apparently, you know, that's a thing that I like. So this episode was like tracking for me where I'm like, tell me more about the demons in space. Yeah. So I was very excited to see what that meant for the Krill. Mm -hmm. And if it was just going to be something scary or just like a farce of like, it scares us, but it's not really that scary. Mm. So I, I enjoy hearing the lore and what the Ankana talks about and getting more background in that area.
0: Yeah, fleshing out the world.
1: Yeah. So I feel like we're learning a lot more about Krill so far this season. Yeah.
0: I uh, Speaking of the Krill, I like the consistency that they had with having the lights down for any mm-hmm. room that the Krill were in. It was in the reception as well as the briefing room here. Because Krill don't like lights. They need sunscreen.
1: (laughs) They would not do well on a Florida beach. No, not at all. (laughs) So I do like the details that this show does. And I'm not trying to compare it. I never want to be that person. But I'm watching another show and the continuity errors, man, they are just glaring to me. And I know it's tough. So... When you're filming things, some stuff doesn't line up perfectly, but I really appreciate a show for the editing and the directing and making sure that shots are set up in a way mm-hmm. that it's not so jarring that someone's hand is up by their face and then the next shot it's down by their hip. So with the low lighting, that's such a small detail that could be forgotten or overlooked. And so I do appreciate that they like Kriller in the scene, make sure the lights are yeah. down.
0: The only thing that was a little off in the scene, and it could just be because it hasn't paid off yet. It seemed like something they mentioned, put a lot of emphasis on, and then didn't pay it off in this episode, at least. They mentioned that tracking beacon.
1: Yeah. That
0: the crow was putting on the Orville to go into their space. And Kelly was very uncomfortable with it. To a point, I was like, oh, that's a thing. And then it never came back. And it could, again, just be for future episode payoff. But it struck me that by the end of this one, we didn't come back to it.
1: I do wonder if it's a show of faith of, oh, we're trusting the Krill now. Maybe. So maybe it was a little bit of that. But I do feel like it could be foreshadowing for the future. Mm -hmm. Because Kelly was very much like, that goes against all of our protocol. Yeah. And the thing is, too, that's odd is they're like, we're going to put a tracking beacon on you, but we're not going to save you if any issues come up.
0: Oh, yeah. They just wanted to make sure they didn't deviate from that path, I think.
1: Yeah. That's what's interesting to me is that they're like, oh, you're going to go into the expanse. But if something happens, like, we're going to know where you are, but we're not going to help
0: you. Yeah, because they don't want to go.
1: No, I do feel like maybe that will come up later. I don't think I gave it a second thought, to be honest, but they did spend a bit of time talking about that. Mm, I'm it curious. It could just be like, hey, yeah, like, we trust the Krill now enough to put a tracking beacon on our ship, but also...
0: I could be thinking too hard about it. I'm just saying it struck me.
1: It's okay. I do that, too, with other <laughs> things where I'm like, what does that mean? A call is made to Admiral Halsey to debate whether or not they want to take the warning of the Krill seriously. Christy mentions that it seems like none of their ships have entered the Expanse in more than a century. While Ed adds that the passage from the Ankana mentioned shadow realms and demons with eight eyes and huge fangs. Concluding that their mission is exploration despite the risk, they decide to go ahead with their plans.
0: So, I know we've kind of gotten ahead a little bit here and there anyway, but while the Krill definitely added some mythology to their version of the story, the information... With the dangerous creatures with eight eyes and fangs, ends up being spot on.
1: Which, it's an interesting discussion to have when you look at the Bible Mm -hmm. and how like people take stuff so literally, even though it's a lot of metaphor. Yeah. And then this is, it's a demon with eight eyes and huge fangs, which is what it actually is. So, I just like the discussions that the Ankana can potentially bring up later on.
0: They're not actually demons and not actually sucking souls out of people. But you can see the interpretation of that definitely... The eight eyes, though, and the fangs, (laughs) those are just accurate.
1: Yeah. I've just enjoyed getting to learn more about their holy book, that this is a story within it. Mm -hmm. But it's dead on. They interpreted it as demons with eight eyes and huge fangs, but it's just like that bacterial spore type thing that makes you into a spider demon. No, it's not a demon. It's spider creature.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Spider demon arachnoid alien creature.
1: Yes. One of those.
0: That seems like a long name for this species. (laughs)
1: I hope that that's like the scientific term for it. <laughs> and then it's in a parentheses, like after. <laughs> I can't remember what you said, but it's just I that. Can't either. I've
0: already lost it. <laughs> At Muska's, Paul finds Claire eating alone and joins her. He tells her that he'll be staying aboard for their upcoming mission, a decision only partly influenced by her being there. He also shows the doctor that he still keeps his wedding band with him, a band made of Zalayan sunstone. When Paul asks if she still has hers, Claire tells him that she's not interested in continuing to revisit the past.
1: Fully friend-zoned. Fully. (laughs) Also, I was really curious about the Zilean Sunstone, and I tried doing some research on that to see if I could find anything, but... I think it was just something that was introduced in this
0: episode. I think so, too. But I am also just as curious.
1: Yeah, I was like, I want to know more about the minerals from the planets. That's how deeply I want (laughs) to know about this universe. (laughs) But then I was like, there's foreshadowing. Clearly, they wouldn't just bring up the wedding band. For sure. For no reason. Mm -hmm. I do wonder if Claire still has hers.
0: Yeah, she never really answered. Yeah. I'm going to headcanon that she has it somewhere, just not on her person.
1: Yes. I think like the fork in the first episode, Mm -hmm. some things just hold meaning. And I think she probably has that in a drawer tucked away. Absolutely. As their voyage begins, Mercer gives the crew a pep talk. Admiral Christie then makes his way to Isaac's lab and introduces himself. After hearing about Isaac's involvement with Dr. Finn, he wants to ask about what makes her happy these days. Isaac stresses the importance of her children and career and begins to list her recreation interests, which Paul puts an end to right before the Kalon begins listing her favorite mating positions.
0: Great scene.
1: It was funny. I really liked this scene.
0: I did too. I found Isaac's body language particularly interesting in the scene. And I imagine you did too. Because I'm just (laughs) saying. (laughs) So he continues to work while talking, only kind of glancing from time to time at the Admiral as he's working Mm -hmm. until Paul brings up Claire and it's just boom, hard turn, completely abandons his work. What did you say about Claire? I'm interested. Yeah.
1: I also really liked at the end of the conversation where he said, I can... It was something along the lines of like, you miss her.
0: I have this quote because I liked it too. Yeah. He finds it a challenge to process her daily absence.
1: Mm. And when he said, we have that in common as well, Mm -hmm. I was just like, oh, I'm sorry. A robot does not talk like that. (laughs) Okay. There is something... In Isaac's wiring that has changed. Cause you know, like how the human brain can rewire. Mm-hmm. The easiest example is someone has trauma, you can do CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy to rewire those For sure. neurons and stuff. Maybe with the Kalon, it's similar. You can rewire some of those pathways and perhaps he's evolving.
0: That would be my biggest suspicion. Yeah. And I also still hold some theory to like, how do we justify our emotions? Yeah. Why is a Kalon any different, even though they're synthetic? Synthetic does not mean, by definition, unemotional.
1: That's true. I think it's our, our general idea of robotic people, or people. <laughs> Those are people to me. Uh, robotic things is that they're absent of emotion.
0: One might say this, Katie, and I think Uh-oh. you'll like this.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> that you could say the humans project their emotions onto Isaac But they're also projecting our expectations of a robot and their lack of emotions (gasps) onto Isaac.
1: So we're not giving robots enough credit.
0: We're not being open-minded enough.
1: No. Just because an Apple computer from 1995 (laughs) acted that way doesn't mean a robot 500 years in the future would. Exactly. I don't know. This episode specifically, I'm just like, Isaac's got emotions. This episode kind of confirmed to me that there's more to him than just, oh, he has processes he's going through. I think something's changing.
0: It's very, very possible.
1: And I love it. I won't <laughs> lie. Like I just I think this episode made me love Isaac more, just because his dialogue, and then when he went, I know it's in the future, he checked on Claire. Mm-hmm. And also, his delivery was very funny yeah. to me, too. Oh,
0: yeah. He was great in this episode. The Orville soon arrives in the Naklav sector on the other side of Krill space. While Isaac is sharing his scanner results, Tala interrupts to report the detection of a distress signal, which is located within the Kalar expanse. They alter course and head toward the signal. As the ship approaches the edge of the expanse, they're disturbed to see that there are no stars inside it. Arriving at the signal's coordinates, the ship encounters what appears to be an unknown space station. After determining that there's a breathable atmosphere within, an away team is assembled.
1: The whole sequence of entering the expanse with no stars was completely epic. I couldn't look away because it was just really pretty. Mm -hmm. The first... It's not... Was it a nebula? The
0: star cluster that we saw. The star cluster. Oh, gorgeous.
1: Yeah, it was beautiful. And then just the expanse with no stars, just when the the little tiny Orville's going into that black space was a great shot. I just remember watching that and I was like, oh. And because I was like, I think this is going to be a horror episode, I'm just over there like, yes, go into the darkness. (laughs)
0: It's such a good way to transition into that atmosphere. It really mm-hmm.
1: is. And then I think the music, too, they did a great job with just like some ominous tones mm-hmm. in it this episode. But visually, even when they get to what's in the expanse, it's just everything looked so creepy. And just the way that they transitioned from regular space to the expanse was really clever, I thought.
0: Um, yeah, very well done. I loved everything about this sequence. Yeah.
1: Ed, Kelly, John, Tala, and Admiral Christie take a shuttle over to the space station. They approach what they think is a shuttle bay, and it ominously opens for them. Inside the station, there are no signs of life, but Claire suspects the alloy is partially organic. John and Tala find the source of the signal, an automated beacon. Meanwhile, Ed and Paul find a group of strange glowing pods. As the Admiral takes a closer look at one, it quickly opens up and then closes again. The team then decides to bring their data back to the ship for analysis.
0: I wasn't sure what to call these pods, flowers, buds.
1: So I play a lot of horror video games. Mm -hmm. Have you played Soma?
0: I have not, but I've seen people play it.
1: So Soma has a save feature in it. Okay. where The character takes their hand and sticks it into like a pod-like thing. Oh, God. (laughs) And it reminded me of these pods and so then throughout this whole episode, I'm like, oh, this reminds me of this. And this reminds me of this. But I think it was kind of like a plant. Mm. Definitely a pod type. For sure. Like a spore. Maybe a spore. Wait, no.
0: The spore would be what would come out, right?
1: Yeah. You know those mushrooms? Yes. That are like puffy and you step uh-huh. on them and they like, it reminds me of that. Okay. Like the stuff comes out of it. So maybe it's, maybe it's like a mushroom. Maybe. <laughs> This ship, though, I am just in awe of the sets this season.
0: Oh, the station and then inside. Yeah, it's wild.
1: Obviously, lots of lights. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I'm happy. Sometimes I just sit there and I'm like, the amount of work that went into building that.
0: Oh, yeah. I had that same thought. Got to bring this up. Mm -hmm. I thought that in season three, the crew might have learned how to use the seats in the shuttles.
1: I also noticed, I was like, I'm going to see if Rob brings up the fact that they're standing in the (laughs) shuttle. They're still standing. Listen, they just want to be a part of the action. But I also just that whole sequence when they're flying over and I saw like they would cut away to someone I think was John flying Mm -hmm. and you could see the hands of the people on the back (laughs) of the chair. And I was like, Rob's probably like, "Mm, why won't they just sit down?
0: I get it. But also, come on. (laughs) The seats are right there.
1: (laughs) I do feel like the other thing, too, is so many senior officers go on these away missions I saw an, a meme once about Star Trek where it was like, oh, really dangerous planet. Let's send everybody in command down to the planet.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: And so I was like watching them all walk around this station. I'm like, that was a big risk to send Ed Kelly, John Tala and Admiral Christie. Yeah. to the space
0: station. <laughs> Massive risk. But that's the way it is. I mean, those are the characters we follow through the story. So I that's know. That's just the way it is. But yes, I, I have the same thoughts still.
1: When you think about it, you're like, that's kind of a dangerous yeah. uh, way to do this. But... I was really impressed with this ship and enjoyed seeing them be in this kind of organic, alive ship, almost.
0: Yeah, possibly alive.
1: At least organically coated walls. For sure. And the spore makes me think, hmm. Which I honestly think is interesting if they're like arachnid aliens, that it's like a nature-esque.
0: Totally. And the homing beacon looked like a scarab or like a beetle.
1: Yeah, just very bug-like environment. It reminded me the walls of Alien. Just when they create their little, I don't know what they're called. Like I can't think of the technical Nest. term, but when they put, well, yeah, when they put the people in the walls, like the organic, uh, it just that was reminiscent of like a
0: chrysalis it being perhaps. alive.
1: Yeah, just like a a ship that felt alive or that had nature aspects that a ship shouldn't have. It should be metal and all this other stuff. Yeah. So it's like a different world that they stepped into.
0: Also, I think unlike you, Paul is not a big horror movie fan because. Who sticks their face in that thing? Come on, Admiral. Oh, well, I
1: know. Well, Kelly almost touched the wall. She did. Yeah. And Claire's like, better not touch anything. So like Admiral Christie technically didn't touch anything, but he got his face. still did a dumb. Face. <laughs> but the thing was just like, from a quarantining perspective, because potentially like me thinking in terms of a pandemic now, sure. why wouldn't they have gone on that ship with protection?
0: Yeah. I think a lot of people had that thought, but it seems like most of the time they don't.
1: Yeah, and they, I know Isaac did a scan and said, oh, it's got a breathable atmosphere. So it was like, Which oh, we don't need. Which is their main concern, yeah. There should be maybe like a new protocol where they have to wear a mask when they go onto an alien ship for the first time. Like, just a thought. <laughs> we'll
0: see if their protocol evolves <laughs> throughout the season, too.
1: I just, this could be a, a teachable moment, I think.
0: Very much so, absolutely. Yeah. Back on the Orville, John and Isaac have determined that the station is made of a highly advanced biotechnology. They also conclude that while they're unable to detect any signs of life, their scanners may be limited by searching for what they know of to be life. For all they know, the outpost itself could be a life form. All of a sudden, Admiral Christie yells and collapses on the ground. As they turn him over, we see some form of mutation taking place on half of Paul's face.
1: Nothing good was going to come of that. No. No. Yeah. Immediately then I'm like, well, there was the when he was near the pod mm-hmm. and it exploded like he lingered. So you're like, yeah, that's going to come back up later. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was surprised at how quickly it set in. Yeah. Yeah. They hadn't been back very long, I don't think.
0: We do find out later on that this is probably the least potent form of it. Mm -hmm. So even that still took longer than the normal mutation does.
1: And not to like compare it to other horror sci-fi, but like an alien, the face hugger Mm -hmm. takes time to brew. So it just reminds me of like those kinds of things where it's like it settles in, it's like a virus and it mutates. And then all of a sudden you're no longer Admiral Christie.
0: I was surprised in the scene that they didn't mention Isaac when talking about other forms of life. I don't think the scanners would detect Isaac as a life form, but the argument Mm -hmm. could be made that he totally is, like the Kalon R race. They refer to them as such.
1: Maybe at this point they've built into it since they know the Kalon exists that that it would account for Kalon?
0: I think it would now, yeah. Yeah. But if they were unfamiliar with the Kalon and went to a planet of them, would it detect life forms? I don't think it would.
1: I wonder if the alien also would be picked up. I guess it would. I think that would be because because it's organic.
0: Yeah, I think like we have with whatever parameters they have set defined as life form, which is probably like organic, gives off some sort of body heat or unless they're cold. I don't know. Whatever.
1: Yeah. You would think movement, though, would be picked up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They would probably pick up some movement, which there's probably not a ton inside. But if it is alive, which it might be, we still don't know. Perhaps it was yeah. breathing the way those lights were going and stuff. I don't know.
1: That's interesting because I do feel like this is a new species they're encountering. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of neat to see it from the origin point. Oh,
0: totally. Yeah.
1: It lost a few along the way, though. <laughs> oh,
0: yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: In sick Bay, Dr. Finn and Nurse Park are attempting to treat the Admiral, but something is quickly rewriting his DNA. Claire needs more information, so Ed, Tala, and John head back to the station, this time wearing protective suits. Tala approaches the pod and takes a sample of the microbes it spits out. John then reports that the distress signal has stopped, but a new signal is transmitting the coordinates of the outpost like a beacon.
0: Oh, good.
1: <laughs> How scary. But then it's like, who's controlling that? How did it know to switch? Ooh. How did they know someone got infected? Maybe you could sense that the DNA was starting to change or something.
0: Either that or it's just a response to the pot opening.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Maybe like if they had worn the suits and nobody got infected, but the pot opened, maybe it still switches just as like, oh, someone yeah. discharged. And then. Yeah. I wonder.
1: I glad they were wearing protective suits. Yeah. And. I think that the suits were something that, like, we got to see more detail of this episode.
0: Oh, totally. Yeah. Especially in the dark. I like how the lights Mm -hmm. determine, like, even if it's so dark that you have a little trouble making out their faces from a distance. Yeah. Because we had one of each color there, it kind of let us know who was who just by seeing the lights.
1: Yeah. I also saw there was lights in the helmet Mm -hmm. illuminating their faces. And from an acting perspective, I wonder if that's difficult. (laughs)
0: To have the light shining on you like that? Yeah. yeah maybe. <laughs>
1: it looks really good on camera, but I'm like, is that annoying? As From like an acting perspective, just like there's like lights in my eyes. Ugh.
0: At least they're from below. I feel like that helps yeah. a little bit.
1: But the suits were really cool to see more in depth and more in action mm-hmm. and just made me think, hey, you should have probably put those on the first time. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you live, you learn.
0: <laughs> Back in sick bay, the mutation of the Admiral has progressed. He's nine pain, just scared. He asks Claire to take the ring from his pocket and put it on his hand, because if he dies, he wants to make sure it's with him. The returning away team reports to the doctor that they've captured a bacterial spore unlike anything in their database, so they'd like her eyes on it when they get back. As Claire looks up from the call, Paul is gone. When she reports this to the bridge, Kelly asks Bordis to alert security, but he's been locked out by admiral-level command codes. Main power has also been taken offline, and a dampening field is up.
1: That admiral works quick. Yeah. You would think there'd be a sensor on the bed.
0: Ah, uh, interesting. Yeah.
1: Because in hospitals here, they have bed alarms. Mm-hmm. So if there's a patient who, well, I work in the medical field, so that's why I know
0: this. But
1: <laughs> if someone who shouldn't be getting up and is impulsive, mm-hmm. they will have a bed alarm. So it'll sense when someone gets out of the bed and it'll set an alarm off at the nurse station. So in the future, you could probably put a force field up or something.
0: That was my thought. Why is there no quarantine field for this unknown spore that's inside of this body?
1: Yeah, that's something too. Like you would think full protocol of like this man might be contagious Mm -hmm. because he's mutating and getting new eyeballs on his face. Let's just put a field around him and let's just wear some protective gear because Claire's getting like up close, like I'm going to fix you. Like she's like right on him. And so... The future obviously might have more advanced ways to deal with illness, but I feel like this was something that no one really knew what was going on with, so...
0: I think if there's anything we've learned about the way the Union operates, or at least the way the Orville operates over the last two seasons, they are a very fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants operation.
1: They're very like, yeah, let's just handle it like when it comes up. Yeah. It's going to be fine. You think a man who's growing eyeballs on his face isn't going to be on the move anytime soon, so I can kind of see. <laughs> but maybe some restraints, maybe a little maybe. something to keep him keep him on the bed. So, yeah, I guess in the future, maybe they'll install some, like, bed alarms, a force field.
0: (laughs) This is the first time any of these types of things are happening. So, like, oh, yeah, that's what we should have done. They're just learning now.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I will say that it was neat neat to see the Orville go dark. I mean, yeah. In the sense of how creepy it was. With the expanse of space behind them, and you can just see the lights going out throughout the ship, and it's just floating there. How scary would that be? To just not have any power, you're drifting literally in space.
0: Meanwhile, outside, no stars. So like pure black.
1: Mm -hmm. That's kind of like worst case scenario. And I think being in a situation like that is genuinely horrifying to Mm -hmm. think about. You just don't have the control. And the Admiral clearly had enough wherewithal that whatever was taking over him knew you got to do this to the ship before I think the full transformation happened.
0: That too, and I think we learn later on that they are more mentally there than we perceive them to be throughout most of this episode. Because they
1: seem very animalistic.
0: Exactly, yeah.
1: Yeah. Dr. Finn grabs a flashlight and heads towards her quarters to check on Marcus and Ty. Nurse Park hears a sound in the corridor and goes to investigate only to find the Admiral's uniform discarded on the floor. When he turns around, he comes face to face with the creature that the Admiral has become.
0: I'm holding out hope, Katie.
1: I think Nurse Park's doing just fine. I'm holding out
0: hope that because we never saw what happened to Nurse Park.
1: Nurse Park ran away and he got away. That's how I feel it happened. Or maybe, maybe they became friends. And I don't know. I'm just trying to find any reason I can that Nurse Park is okay.
0: When Nurse Park went to Union Point for school... He was on the track team and he's a real good runner.
1: Yeah. I remember, I remember that. Like he he got awards, yep, and medals. He's so fast. He's the
0: fastest, Katie. He's the fastest. He's
1: I really like they didn't show it. So I just hope that they'll find him like huddled in a vent months later. He's been surviving in the vents.
0: We're not in denial. You're in denial.
1: It's like that holding on hope because they didn't show it. Yep. But also it's a creature reveal. What did you think when you first saw the creature?
0: It looks awesome. Yeah. Obviously, scary, gross. Yeah, it looks super cool.
1: This is when I feel like the episode became a creature feature. Yeah. Which sometimes I've seen some shows where it doesn't always go well. And you're like, man, I really wish I, I had the illusion of the creature versus actually seeing the creature. Right. And I actually was very satisfied with the creature. Just the movements alone were so scary.
0: Oh, yeah. I didn't consider that. I didn't consider like if we saw throughout most of the episode only the quick movements and the, the shadows and people just being nabbed off the screen or But yeah, the creature is effective enough that they can have confidence in letting it be in the full light almost. Which
1: I think is a testament to it because I mean, I watch a lot of horror movies. I watch a lot of horror TV shows. A lot of times they rely on just the off-screen stuff because Mm -hmm. they know that the creature doesn't look very good. So when they show it, there's like shaky cam and there's quick cuts and you get like glimpses of its mouth and like things like that. And this they're just like, hey, here's the creature and here are many of them and I have to commend them on that because a lot of times shows rely on the off-screen stuff mm-hmm. to build that tension. I don't think they needed that. They could actually show it and utilize it throughout the episode and have it still be scary. There are movements like jumping around on the ceilings like, well, I didn't like it.
0: I agree. The design is good enough and the makeup is mm-hmm. absolutely phenomenal to the point where they can have full confidence in showing these creatures and
1: get away with I it. I really love that they did CGI, but I also love that they did practical effects. For sure. Because a lot of times shows or movies rely heavily on the CG. And I think there's something to be said about using practical effects because it's more tangible. It mm-hmm. looks more real. and I know we the next part will get to a very big practical effect yeah. that happened that I feel like they pulled off really well.
0: Yeah, it is worth all the effort. hmm As the shuttle returns to the ship, they have to dock manually due to the power outage. Claire makes it to her quarters only to find the boys missing. Marcus and Ty, however, have just arrived at Sick Bay looking for their mother. As the crew attempts to restore power, the boys have moved on to the mess hall only to encounter the alien. Lieutenant Woodson finds them, but before he can help them out, the alien jumps him and spits in his face. The goo rapidly mutates the crewman, and the boys run through the corridor where they finally find their mother.
1: Man, at first I was like, oh, it's just melting his face off.
0: That's what I thought.
1: Yeah, I was like, oh, so it's just like, again, alien, acid blood. But then I was like, oh no, it's transforming him.
0: I think it's the eyes, right, that give it oh. away first as they start mm-hmm. to come in. Well,
1: That, I believe, was practical effects for that whole scene. Or at least partially. Yeah.
0: If it wasn't, then the most insane CGI I've ever seen. Yeah. It looked practically done and to such an impressive level. And
1: Just like we were talking about in the prior scene that they were confident enough to show that. Mm -hmm. It was gross. Like, it was kind of like, this is scary. Yeah. And I did notice, like, he's wearing a red uniform. (laughs) I was like, and the whole time, like, he's going to die. He's dying. (laughs) I can already tell. Because he's like, there's nothing here. We're fine. I'm like, you're about to die.
0: That's classic horror movie stuff.
1: And the aliens crawling on the ceiling, which reminded me of Resident Evil.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: And so I'm just sitting there just appreciating all these maybe nods to horror franchises or maybe just they're like, it'd be cool if they crawled on the ceiling like a spider could. But it reminded me of that and just the attack when it jumped down from the ceiling. And you don't expect it when it spit in its face. I was like, oh, it's just how it kills him. Mm -hmm. But instead, I'm like, oh, they're making like an army of these. And apparently the acid is a rapid transformation. How scary would that be oh. to be in a situation where someone's like, let's go, I'm going to take care of you. And then poor kids.
0: <laughs> These kids have been through so much.
1: They might need to have some therapy at some point here. I mean,
0: it's a good thing their mom is a therapist too. <laughs> so.
1: I, and it does help. One of the things I thought was interesting is like, where was everybody?
0: Yeah, it's definitely more empty right now than it normally is. And I think that's just an atmosphere thing. I can't rationalize it, really, unless they were just all working on the power problem.
1: I just thought like there's obviously people working all shifts of the day. Mm-hmm. So there would be people in the cafeteria. I guess if the power goes out, maybe there's a protocol where you're supposed to go back to your quarters or something. Oh, maybe. But I just I was like, where? There's like nobody around.
0: So that's what they write a protocol for? All these other yeah. things they ignore. But if the lights go Don't out. Don't wear a suit going <laughs>
1: to an alien space station. But if the power goes out, make sure you get back to your room.
0: <laughs> Makes sense to me. Yeah.
1: On the bridge, Marcus tells the crew in attendance about what happened to Lieutenant Woodson. It's here that Ed starts to realize the connections to the Krill legends. The aliens that are mutating their crew could easily be perceived as demons possessing souls. Dr. Finn theorizes that this is the alien species' form of reproduction, to hijack the body of other lifeforms like an aggressive parasite. Learning that Lamar is attempting to restore power while unaware of the threat, Tala heads off to find him. Going into the ship, a dark ship like that, knowing that those things are out there, it was effective with the flashlight down the hallways. Again, I recently played Alien Isolation, so I got a lot of alien on the brain. Mm -hmm. Just the whole dark hallways on a space station, all you have is a flashlight, is so scary to me.
0: Yeah. This threw me off a little bit, too. Like, I get using a flashlight in a dark corridor, great horror movie stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what this dampening field does and what it doesn't do. Because flashlights, totally usable. Com scanner, not. Blasters, not. Isaac, totally fine. I don't understand the selective nature of the dampening field.
1: These just use AAA batteries. Oh. Yeah. So those are in like 500 years in the future. Gotcha. They've got, okay. you go to like Space Costco and you get the AAA batteries for the flashlight.
0: Radio Space Shack, totally.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Maybe my brain just was like, oh, that's very manual because the way that she flipped it on seemed very much like a push. Right. Maybe they have stuff on the ship for emergency situations.
0: Should the power go out? Yeah,
1: like if there's a dampening field, this thing will still work.
0: Yeah, I guess I just, and again, it's probably something I'm overthinking, but it just makes me wonder, like, what is the purpose of this dampening field? What does it do and what does it not do?
1: Yeah, the Klon are advanced enough to maybe have workarounds for it. Maybe. And then I think about they have like a little emergency kit. They break out they're like oh, up a dampening fields on they they open it up and they have like a flashlight in it. But they haven't figured out the tech for the comms yet.
0: I can totally understand the comm scanners not working. Yeah. Like the dampening field scramble scanners. Cool. Get it. Yeah. Why don't the blasters work? That's the one I can't wrap my head around.
1: Well, they had rifles at some point. Was that after they turned the power back on, though?
0: That's after the uh, auxiliary power's back.
1: Maybe it harnesses the power of the quantum drive. And once the (laughs) quantum drive is out, it can't fire.
0: (laughs) They're warp blasters? (laughs)
1: They're warp blasters. That's the reason for that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we'll Mm -hmm. go with it. Okay. We join Lamar inside one of the engineering conduits, where he manages to restore auxiliary power. Soon after, he's being chased through it by one of the aliens. As he makes it back into the corridors, he encounters more of them. Seeing no other options, he locks himself behind a force field in the brig. Tala finds John here and lures the creatures into a cargo hold where she uses her Zalayan strength to subdue them.
1: I got jump scared in this scene. Oh, which part? So when John is rerouting the electricity in the vent... Mm. I think it drops down.
0: I think he turns his flashlight and that reveals Uh, it just sitting there and it like roars at him or whatever sound that is.
1: I play a lot of horror games and watch stuff and I got jump scared by that. (laughs) Like I literally like I was like, and then I like clutched my chest. Legit jump scare at that moment. And I never want to be an event, let alone being chased by an alien species. (laughs) That was so scary to me. We can't, as humans, move very efficiently in a vent. Yeah. Like, crawling through a vent? No, thank you. I thought this really showcased John's intelligence with how he handled the brig Mm -hmm. situation. I just thought it was impressive to come up with something quickly like that to protect himself. But also, just seeing them trying to get in was so creepy.
0: Yeah, just watching them bash their heads against the force field. Mm -hmm. But what I tell you I do really love about all this is I've been waiting for so long to see a Zalayan just unleash. Yeah. And Tala owns these things in the best way. I loved every second of it.
1: That scene must have taken a long time to choreograph, but it looked really good. She took out like six of them, right?
0: She's like hucking them around. Yeah. Slamming containers into them. It was so cool. I loved it.
1: Yeah, I just remember she ran into the cargo bay, which I was like, wow, that's labeled really well. I know that this is just a set <laughs> detailed. It had cargo bay E or yeah, something. And yeah. I was like, wow, that's labeled really well if you needed to get around the ship. And it was a really good room for them to do that in because there was materials that she could just easily throw around and utilize. And
0: they had the space. She can just hurl them and not worry about how far it is. And
1: This showcased the uh, way that they moved, too. Just how they like stick to things like Spider-Man and then like also just they're fast (laughs) and they're (laughs) gross. They're they're just they're creepy and I would never want to encounter one. But like if anyone could handle six of them at a time, it would be Paula just kicking some arachnid butt.
0: Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it it
1: was a great scene. Back in the corridors, Isaac encounters an alien who quickly loses interest in his non-biological form. He frees Lamar from the brig and they make their way back to the bridge. John has restored communication and they contact Claire and sickbay. She comments that it'd be helpful to have one of those aliens to examine. And just as she does, Kala enters with one of the unconscious creatures.
0: I'm assuming unconscious, maybe dead. I'm going to say dead. (laughs) Because it looked like she snapped one of their necks.
1: Part of me this whole time was like, is Claire going to be able to find something to, like, bring them back? And this whole time, I'm like, you're not really coming back from that. Right. You're just becoming that. And I don't think you can become human again or an alien, your original form again, just from getting a vaccine or something.
0: I wonder if they could have come up with, like, a con agent to restore the original DNA. but. The other thought that I had is I thought back to Firestorm Mm -hmm. where there was that moment where the giant spider eats Gordon. And at that moment, I was like, oh, okay, this either isn't real or they're going to undo all this somehow because they killed a main character. Yeah. And I kept waiting for something like that to happen. And if it did, I'd be like, oh, okay, of course, they're going to reverse this by the end. And when it didn't, I was kind of relieved that they didn't because it would have tipped their hand, I think.
1: When she was owning them in the cargo bay, I was like, those are her co-workers. Those are her other, yeah. like, fellow Orville people. And I think she snapped one of their necks. So I think that one was definitely dead. Okay. But how could you, does she, like, snapped Oh, no, I neck. agree
0: with you. I just don't know if that's <laughs> the same one she brought back.
1: Oh, yeah, I know. I think the one I would assume she brought back was the one she slammed between the cargo.
0: I assume so, too. I wasn't sure, though, if the doctor could do as much with a dead body as she could with an unconscious one. That was my confusion. Not that it Maybe matters. it wasn't that
1: one. Yeah, because I mean, wouldn't the one between the two cargo things be like... Oh,
0: be crushed?
1: Crushed and <laughs> like, like a, Yeah, I know, like a bug.
0: <laughs> <laughs> We're just making this grosser.
1: Yeah, so I think it was probably one of the ones she just maybe threw on the ground and broke a different way. But I don't think that it would be safe to have a knocked out one because they don't really know right? Like if it would wake up.
0: Can they sedate it? I don't know.
1: Yeah, I feel like maybe the sedatives we have wouldn't work on it, so... This is where a force field would come in handy. Oh, man.
0: If only they had one of those force fields to keep someone on the bed.
1: (laughs) Oh, my God. Also, this is one of my favorite scenes from the episode is Isaac and the alien encounter. That was cool. Again, I played Alien Isolation. There are androids in that. Mm -hmm. And the alien does not interact with the Mm -hmm. android because it's synthetic. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, my God, they're going to do it. And so just that whole face off, Isaac just kind of being like, so it felt confident. Yeah. Like, a curious confidence is how I feel like it was.
0: Yeah, because there's no reason for him to be scared of that thing.
1: Yeah. And so he legitimately just has a face-off, stare-off with one of these aliens, and it just goes, oh, yeah, you're not worth my time, and moves on. But I think they lingered on it just enough to make you go, is it about to just throw Isaac against the wall right. and break him or something? So I really enjoyed that from just a cinematic perspective. I thought that was a really cool scene. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I had a dumb thought (laughs) about when John and Isaac were leaving the bridge. Mm -hmm. John's clearly like in a hurry. I imagine he's going to do a jog or like a somewhat jog back to the bridge. Yeah. Does Isaac run or walk faster? Probably
1: could walk fast in a situation he needed to.
0: They're not going to show us, obviously, because that suit probably has limitations. But I couldn't get the visual out of my head of like John jogging onto the bridge. And then a few minutes later. Isaac just walking in at his normal pace.
1: I like (laughs) to think that Isaac power walks. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Just like super fast, efficient movement.
0: Or he's like Pepe Le Pew and like he can just go as slow as he wants and just shows up at the same time as other people somehow. And you just go, (laughs) how do you do that?
1: I would hope that he could get a run or a jog on if he needed to. (laughs) Yeah. At least power walking. At a fast speed, because he's a robot. He's got to be able to, like, get those gears turning I would fast. think
0: he can move quickly, but we never see it, so it's just funny to me.
1: <laughs> Maybe we'll see it, like, at some point in the future, just he can cross, like, a football field in a fraction of a second or something.
0: Maybe he's, like, Nurse Park speedrunner.
1: Yeah, I think he was a track star, too, at, at Kalon University, so... Yep,
0: absolutely. Yeah, All he just medals. doesn't want
1: to, like like, show it. <laughs> I just think it's funny that a robot would get a medal when it's made of metal.
0: Well, it's magnetic. Uh, They just stick it right on. (laughs) They don't need the ribbons.
1: That actually, I feel like there should be a sideshow that we make (laughs) where it's just all this other stuff. (laughs) The Kalon Trackmate.
0: We're going to write fan fiction of their uh, high school years is all.
1: Mm -hmm. I'm ready for this.
0: (laughs) Meanwhile, Gordon has detected an unknown vessel on its way to their position. Claire's analysis of the alien gives her the idea to create a synthetic virus that, to the crew, wouldn't be stronger than the common cold, but to the aliens would be toxic. Before they disperse the toxin, Ed wants to give them a chance to leave on their own if they can figure out how to communicate. Claire asks Tala to scan the ship for Zelayan Sunstone, which would give them the location of the Admiral thanks to the wedding band.
1: Sunstone came back.
0: There it is. Pays off.
1: He's wearing a pinky ring. Mm -hmm. I'm impressed that it stayed on considering the transformation. Yeah.
0: I mean, his finger didn't like super puff up or anything. So that's great. No. Yeah.
1: I want to know more about the gemstones. I want to know like the ship has a capability though to scan for like specific oh, yeah. minerals, which is probably an obvious thing, but how cool is that? Like, can you imagine being in your house like I've lost my keys. Let me just put in the <laughs> coordinates or like in the coordinates. Let me put in the materials and I'll find my keys. Like that could be an actual useful thing in society.
0: Although most people would probably not have thought to scan the particular alloy that makes up their key to find their key. And then when they lose it, they're like, I knew I should have done that.
1: (laughs) I think it would be, yeah, it would be a very unique feature of a house to have. That would be awesome. I don't know. But they found him. I like that they're lurking in engineering. Just, it was kind of implied that he's like the ringleader of them.
0: Oh, totally. Yeah. (laughs) Ringleader.
1: Oh, I didn't even mean to do that. (laughs) That just was a happy accident. Nice. Yeah.
0: We also get uh, the best exchange in the entire episode in this scene. With Bortis? Yes.
1: You might get the sniffles. I am prepared. I loved that. (laughs) Bortis and Isaac are my two favorite characters from the show. I love them all, honestly. Yeah. But just the delivery of some of the lines from Isaac and Bortis are... The things I walk away with the episode, so just being like, yeah. So when they're talking about the common cold being dispersed and him just being like, I am prepared. Like, I just, it's a very Bordis response. Mm-hmm. Loved it. Because I know we haven't seen much of Bordis yet this season. So I'm taking any little little crumbs I can get.
0: He gave us some gems during this one. Oh, he
1: did. I really enjoyed the writing in this episode. Yeah. And there's some lighter tones in it. Oh, for sure. The scan reveals that the Sunstone is in engineering, so the doctor makes her way there with the help of an armed escort party. When they arrive, Claire makes her plea for the Admiral to come talk to her, and he appears. She informs him about the virus and the approaching ship, and asks that he take his people and go. The creature manages to speak and says that it will mutate them all, so the doctor gives the order to release the toxin. Knowing they're in danger, they agree to go.
0: Okay. So, this is probably the biggest hang up of the episode for me, but I'm totally happy to just write it off and be like, yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. They agree to leave. Cool. How would they get back to their ship?
1: I had that note as well. In my takeaway, I had a note about, I'm like, wait, how did, did they fly through space? Like, do they have?
0: Now, right this way, everyone file into this shuttle. <laughs>
1: yeah, I was like, <laughs> everybody get in the shuttle. We're going to take you over to the ship now. The thing about it, too, before like I get too far ahead, is the ship did look like a krill vessel, but different.
0: Yes. Now, do you have a theory around this? Because I didn't think about it until you brought that up, and now I'm theorizing.
1: I theorize that... Krill went to this alien space station, got infected. Because they have Krill knowledge still in them, they built a ship. And it's like a hybrid Krill arachnid evolution.
0: Very much the same theory of what I had. Whether or not it be a completely new ship or a pre-existing Krill ship that they then adapted into their current technology. So, yeah, very much in line with yours. Yeah.
1: So, like, you could tell, like, the lighting was obviously different. It was red. Mm -hmm. And the other alien space station was red. But the shape of the ship was so Krill-esque that I was like, there's just something about that. And when he says at the end, like, we will not be gone forever or not forever. We will
0: go, but not forever. Something along those lines. Yeah. Yeah. I'm
1: like, they're coming back. There's no way that Admiral Christie Bugman isn't returning at some point.
0: Admiral Bugman?
1: Admiral Bugman. But it was interesting because it did show there's like at least an inkling of intelligence is not the right word or maybe of Admiral Christie left. Mm-hmm. They can communicate or he had enough left of Admiral Christie and him to verbalize words, but they're more intelligent than just that animalistic attacking everything that moves kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Instead of like an animal, you think if you would corner them, the animal would get more aggressive and attack yeah. regardless of the fact that the toxin is probably going to kill him anyway, but. The fact that they had the wherewithal to be like, yeah, we got to get out of here just for our own survival.
1: Yeah, I really... I don't know. I really thought they were going to release the toxin.
0: They did, to an extent. Oh! And that's why they started feeling it all over the ship, but it wasn't enough to, like, kill them. If they had stuck around, they'd be dead.
1: Okay. For some reason, I didn't realize that they had released it a little bit, because she gave the order, and I'm like, wow, it's taken a long time for them to release this. They
0: had no visual representation of the toxin, which I think was the slightly confusing part, because normally we'd expect, like, some sort of vapor or anything like that, but they just went with the clear gas.
1: Yeah, I guess in that that makes more sense now and then also the fact that probably everybody on the ship is going to get a head cold now
0: (laughs) (laughs) we need the aftermath
1: the aftermath like the next episode they just start with everybody going through a round of colds.
0: everyone has a box of tissues at their station
1: (laughs) yeah like a red nose the conversation that they have in this last scene is it makes me feel like there is going to be a return of these at some point Mm -hmm. i just do you think the makeup looked at all krill like Or, like, there was any krill aspects to it. I didn't take a lot of time to study that, but now I'm curious.
0: Off the top of my head, no, not a ton. And I think these aliens are designed to take over any other species. Yeah. And if they were taking over multiple... Like, we don't see if they took over more than just humans on the Orville, but...
1: It was implied when Claire did a scan, like, she wasn't sure.
0: Yeah, it was implied the one that she was looking at was definitely human before. Yeah, but some of the others may or may not have been, and we don't know that for sure.
1: But it does line up with the lore of, so like it does seem as if the krill are able to be affected by these spores.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. I feel like it can take over any alien. I'm not sure that the species it takes over affects the final appearance of it, I guess is what I'm saying.
1: Yeah. No, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that makes more sense then. Like it wouldn't just be like, oh, it has krill features. Right, right. But my thought was like, oh, is it like an ancient... Generations past version of a krill.
0: Oh, so you think like they're an offshoot of the species? Yeah, but I guess
1: it's just the expanse. It's just a part of space.
0: Yeah, it's just, it's not even in krill space, it's beyond.
1: Yeah, so it's probably, I think I just, am, I'm overthinking it. Is what I think <laughs>
0: is <just> happening. <laughs> it's the krill ship tying it all together. Yeah. Back in Muska's, Isaac enters to find Claire eating alone. He tells her that he's there to check on her. Based on his observations of others after traumatic events, He wants to ask her how she's doing and offers his condolences on the loss of her friend. Upon hearing that Paul and Isaac had conversations about her, Claire tells him that she's missed him and invites Isaac to join her, which he does.
1: This scene was sweet. It was. Just that like he comes in, he's like, well, I've noticed that when someone's had a hard time, people ask how you're doing. And it was funny when Isaac was like, she says, I'm okay. And he's like, all right. And then he just like goes to leave.
0: Because he takes it literally. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And then Claire's like, hey, do you want to sit down? And he doesn't really answer. He just sits down, which is another thing where I'm like, oh, I feel like there's well,
0: I mean, he does there. want to. And that's another question that we can keep asking or not is like mm-hmm. want in and of itself is based on emotion. Unless it's like yeah. a survival thing. Whether you want to do something or not is an emotional decision.
1: Just the fact that he made time, logically, it makes sense that he would go say, hey, how are you? But he didn't need to do it at that time when it seemed like an off-duty moment. The whole thing made me happy in the sense of like, oh, there's hope for Dr. Finn and Isaac, at least maybe not to like be in a romantic relationship again, but to have that connection that they did in the prior season, yeah. that closeness. And like, you can see the forgiveness starting to bloom.
0: Exactly. Yeah. This is the the kind of steps in that healing process that they both need to go through, perhaps, at least Claire does, to reestablish some sort of connection for sure. Yeah.
1: I like that the end of the episodes kind of have these poignant conversations Mm -hmm. versus a cheersing over dinner or something like that. We had a successful mission, like something like that. It's thoughtful, and I appreciate the episodes end with a moment of something to think about.
0: And even after a horror episode, we're still going, but hey, how about this nice little thing?
1: Yeah, and it leaves me wanting more in the sense of like, okay, let's get to the next episode because I want to see what happens. (laughs) Thank you, please. (laughs) Let's go. Let's do it.
0: All right, is that time. So what is your big takeaway from this episode?
1: I love horror, which I've stated many times. So I really loved the horror aspect of the show. I hate themed episodes, which I believe we've talked about in the past. We have. So I hate when there are episodes that have a Western theme or like, it's just like, no, stick to mm-hmm. the formula. Even in Next Gen, when they did like the Sherlock Holmes stuff. I'm like, I don't want that. Okay. Some people really love those. <laughs> I'm like, no, I just want to see space missions, please. So with this, I realized I don't hate horror themed episodes.
0: Is this the first horror themed episode? Space show? No, I don't
1: think so. I think I've just been more analytical about it and being like, all right, I'm okay with certain themed episodes. So I guess (laughs) I'm just saying either I've grown as a person or there's certain genres I'm okay with if there's like an episode that's leaned heavily in a direction.
0: At least towards a genre that you really like.
1: Yeah, which makes sense. So just probably says that I don't really want to watch a Sherlock or a (laughs) Western. (laughs) I will say I was blown away by the sets, especially the alien ship. It just visually was fun to look at. And I liked that they had, I don't know, it was just different. And you could tell like a lot of care and time went into it. And also visually, like getting to look at those things, it was different. And I just appreciated that the lighting behind the organic material. They had like the smoke machine with the fog on the floor. It was just a neat environment And I could tell that a lot of care and time alone went into creating a set like that. For sure. Also, it's easy to make a cheap creature feature on a TV show in a sense where it's not effective. But I felt they did a really amazing job with the CGI and practical effects, that it was convincing, the creatures were creepy and scary, and I didn't hate that they were on screen. I didn't feel like it took away from anything, and I was distracted by it. So just kudos to the Special effects department again for creating a creature feature that looks good and did what it was intended Mm. to do, which was be scary and not be a creature I ever want to encounter in my entire life. (laughs) (laughs) I said I actually got jump scared in this episode, which I already talked about, but that is a testament to an effective jump scare because it takes a lot to jump scare me. And that vent scene was probably one of my favorites. The scene with Isaac and the alien facing off was one of my favorites. And also the scene with Kelly and Claire talking. This season, I've just had a lot of moments where I'm like, oh, that was just really good. They've stuck with me, which I know if a show is good, I end up thinking about it after the fact. Like if there's a show I'm watching and I completely don't even think about it ever again after that, I feel like that's a good tell of did I actually enjoy something or did it affect me in some way? So specific things from Electric Sheep and this episode have Like, I'll just be walking around my day. I'm like, that was pretty cool. (laughs) So, And I did enjoy the nods to different horror content because I play a lot of sci-fi horror, like Alien, Isolation, also the Resident Evil, Soma. I feel like Doom even was a movie like there's you could just feel the atmosphere of space horror. And if those nods were intentional or not, I don't know. But I appreciated it because it kind of drew from some of my favorite things I've played and watched over the years. It felt like the episode had a lighter tone and I enjoyed learning more about Claire's past and the dynamic between her and Isaac. Now we didn't know Claire was married before. So getting that glimpse, I love when we dive deeper into these characters history, because I'm just a sucker for wanting to learn more about them. And I appreciate I'm like, oh, gosh, we're getting more like juicy details about (laughs) Claire's past. But it also was a vehicle in which it evolved her and Isaac's Mm. relationship. So I appreciated that. I enjoyed the space exploration aspect of the show, the expanse of no stars, the alien ship, when they lost power, when it got dark. Oh, also. Getting to see the manual docking oh, was yeah. neat.
0: Yeah. I mean, we've seen that on the bio ship way back in season one, but never with the Orville itself.
1: Yeah. And then like when the, I don't know, the bridge thing expanded out with the lights on and I was just like, this is just like, mm, just like yeah. little details like that, that they didn't have to. They could have just said we got to manually dock and then just there on the ship. Right. So I just appreciate the visual eye candy that I get to watch <laughs> during the show. I'm looking forward to the aliens maybe showing up again since at the end he said they are gone, but not forever. Mm-hmm. I did feel that the show wrapped up quickly and it left me with some questions of how'd they get back to their ship? And then I started going through all this headcanon stuff. I'm like, how much of the crew was affected? What happened to Nurse Park?
0: <laughs> <laughs> he's fine. We established this fast runner.
1: <laughs> yeah. So he's a fast runner. He's just an event. He hasn't just come out of the event yet. Exactly. But I I wanted to know about, like, the toll it took on the crew because it was kind of a traumatic thing to happen. Yeah. And I thought Claire might be more upset about what happened, but I guess it has been 25 years. So maybe not.
0: Yeah, I'll get into something about that in my like metaphorical deep diving. But
1: okay, because I do feel like it was a pretty messed up thing that happened. But I wonder you don't really fully process those things immediately after sometimes. So maybe it was just like, yeah, I'm fine, but maybe she won't be fine in a week.
0: That's very possible.
1: But it also seems like she did resolve that relationship. And she seemed grateful that she got to see him one last time. But that doesn't take away the fact that you watched him transform into a spider bug man. (laughs) That's
0: also true. Right
1: before your eyes. So overall, I really enjoyed the episode. I've really liked the writing so far this season. The dialogue and discussions between characters, I feel like has been more thought-provoking and philosophical, which is one of my favorite aspects of this specific genre. Mm -hmm. It's just having discussions that are more than surface level. So I feel like that's been upped this season or I'm just noticing that more. And then plus when you throw horror into it, I'm just like, I'm sold. Thank you for checking all the boxes for me. And I like that they tried something different with this episode that could be considered a B movie creature feature, but it, it was like an A plus creature feature. Yeah, <laughs> It felt like a movie. Yeah. It felt like a good, satisfying horror movie with sci-fi built in. And I don't get a lot of high, like sci-fi horror movies do not come out very often. So anytime I can get a little bit of that, I'm very happy. We don't get Event Horizon super often, so it's exciting when we get episodes that try something new. Because, I mean, they could have just stuck with the formula of the show, which is still effective and wonderful, but they're trying some different things this season, I think. And I appreciate it all so far. So that's my takeaway. Okay. What's yours, Rob? I had a feeling
0: you'd love this episode.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I don't know why you would think that.
0: (laughs) I don't know. Like you said, as a bit of a horror-focused episode, and me, however, not being a horror fan, I was predisposed to not like this episode. However, I actually enjoyed it. No way! Yeah, I like this episode. I thought it had just the right amount of thrill. Mm -hmm. There were parts that got really tense, but that tension, and this is one of the things that this show does... That in like the first season, particularly, I was a little critical of the level of comedy and how often they went to it. Mm -hmm. But the way that the humor is cleverly placed here and there throughout the episode in some of the highest tension moments never made it so tense to me that I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was enough to keep leveling off. It kept the roller coaster going up and down instead of just high tension the whole time. And I like that.
1: I could see that it was the right amount of horror. Yeah. It didn't lean too gross into body horror and it didn't lean too hard. Which
0: also would have really grossed me Yeah,
1: out. So I feel like in general, they found a good balance that it's accessible to people who don't go out of their way like me <laughs> to watch like a horror movie. Because yeah. even there's sometimes I'm watching stuff where I'm like, okay, that's a little too much. And I did appreciate they didn't push it over the edge. Which they easily can do in horror.
0: Yeah, for people that are like super pure, hardcore horror fans, they might find some of those tension breaks frustrating. But I found it made the episode super palatable for me.
1: It made sense for the Orville, though. Yeah. If they had an episode that was just like, (gasps) I think it would have removed some of the essence of what the Orville is. I agree. So that's why like, they did something different, but they did it in an Orville way.
0: Yeah. The two that come to mind most prominently for me are, like I mentioned Bordas' line earlier of like, prepared for the sniffles. That was fantastic. The other one that cut the tension perfectly is the part where Kelly's trying to get the power cell out of the blaster. And they're like, well, if you did it right, it would just pop right out. (laughs) That was a great bit.
1: Gordon and Ed both. Yeah, that was a, I can understand Kelly's frustration.
0: (laughs) Such a good bit, though. As you mentioned, absolutely stunning makeup work here. Yeah. Completely, insanely well done. Not only with Paul's progressing mutation and like the different levels of that, but also the full body aliens. We talked the whole time about how confident they would have to be in their creature design to allow these things to be fully seen and have them still be realistically effective and scary. And there are both mm-hmm. of those things. And for me, I'm very thankful that they're not overly gross either. They're just creepy and gross enough. But like, I'm someone who's easily grossed out by a lot of things in horror movies. And these mm-hmm. were not overly gross. They weren't like dripping ooze out of their mouth the whole time. They just spit it and that was it. And I appreciated all of that.
1: Yeah. Like in the alien movies, Geiger, like the inspired art and stuff, like everything is like wet all the yeah. time. <laughs> and and like the aliens are just like there's goo and stuff and so like the grossest part I think of this episode was the acid yeah like being spit on but then it it created that transformation yeah
0: like real time mutation of the crewman that was it was gross but it wasn't all like pustule and super awful like that so yeah I could watch all that and be okay (laughs) I didn't have to be a tremendous baby yeah But lastly, I didn't pick up on any major message being delivered here. But as we've said in the past, that is not necessary for every episode. Like some are allowed to just be fun or thrilling and have that be the reason we're going on the journey. Mm -hmm. But if I was going to go out on a limb and try to pull out some sort of metaphorical message from the story, it would be something along the lines of heed the warnings of the past. And that kind of works in two different ways with this episode, I think. One is that the Krill had decided a long time ago not to enter that region of space and they warned the Union to stay away, but the Union did not listen to the Krill's past experience and put themselves in tremendous danger as a result. Writing it off as, oh, their mumbo-jumbo means nothing. Yeah. The other one is that, and this one is maybe going out on even more of a limb, Admiral Christie was a big part of Claire's past and she went through a lot of pain dealing with that. That pain returned along with Paul as that wound opened up again, and Claire knew it was best to avoid him as much as possible. You could even argue that the transformation into the alien creature is a physical manifestation of the emotional pain and danger that is associated with that character from Claire's point of view.
1: I could see that. Like, it's a almost a festering yeah. of that. Like, you have that wound that's kind of healed, and then someone comes back into your life. Like, her ex-husband, mm-hmm. who's apologizing 25 years too late, yeah. and then his transformation is kind of like that. I mean, you, you break down the whole episode going into an unknown, which is like that person's coming mm-hmm. back into your life, and so it's like a dark... What's going to happen? This person returning is scary. And then exploring that a bit and then like him turning into something different is like that wound probably reopening and revisiting the pain.
0: Yeah. The longer he's around, that mutation takes hold and transforms him into a physical place where at the end it's not killed, mm-hmm. but it leaves leaving Claire by herself without that pain, which is maybe why we don't see Claire heartbroken at the loss of this. It's her pain taking form and moving away. And maybe I'm putting a lot more on this episode than was intended, But if I was really, like, trying to extract something out of it, that's all stuff that I got from it.
1: Yeah. It's like a closure. Yeah. She gets closure at the end. Exactly. He's not gone, but she's viewing him as a changed part of her Mm -hmm. life. And then he got on the outside of the spaceship and jumped to his ship.
0: (laughs) Exactly. He crawled (laughs) around the outside. Or they just had a nice little single file walk into a shuttle and... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Took a trip back over to theirs.
1: I want to see that scene if it happened. <laughs> <laughs> I understand why they wouldn't show that because yeah. there is no clean way to get them to the other ship. No, And I don't think that they're probably advanced enough of an alien species to breathe out in space or be able to survive out in space. So,
0: And they probably don't have teleportation technology.
1: No. So I could see that as a metaphor, though, it's getting closure and dealing with an unexpected revisitation Mm -hmm. of like, oh, this is a painful part of my past and I can't avoid it. So I could see it as like an evolution of that and getting to that point where she confronts it and then it leaves. Yeah, I kind of feel like that fits with what happened in the whole thing. And if you look at it from a different perspective of like, oh, this is like a, a horror episode. I don't know. You might be onto something, Rob.
0: And I didn't think about it until now, but the fact that he's wearing the wedding band at the end and everything, too, kind of adds to that, even.
1: Hmm. Where's hers, though? Like, I want to know where her ring is and uh, if that'll ever come back up. But, yeah, I mean, it was an interesting thing to get a glimpse into Claire's past. And then literally you don't expect this guy's going to show up and then turn into a bug alien and then no. not be able to revert back. So nope. And she's also at when they're like in the sick bay and he's getting more eyeballs, she's like I'm going to make that chocolate soufflé for you that you loved and he's like I never liked that chocolate soufflé. And she's like, "Oh, because and he's like you were so proud of it that I just pretended to like it." Mm-hmm. And so then she's like, "Well, I'm going to make you eat it every <laughs> breakfast, lunch and dinner if you don't get better." So it is almost like she's giving herself with episode one and this episode two permission to kind of not be okay and deal Mm -hmm. with some of her stuff because she's always dealing with everybody else's stuff so I do wonder if that's a through line of just I feel like we're already seeing a lot of character growth in certain characters this season so far and getting more depth to issues in their lives yeah I like that metaphor I feel like it fits well for if we wanted to find something that this episode is telling that makes sense to me
0: All right, cool (laughs) awesome (laughs) Well then, before we get out of here, we have one more thing to do, because Katie's husband Mark is also a big fan of the Orville, and always leaves us with his one-sentence review. But um, bum bum space, space, it's a spooky, scary place, where giant glowing buttholes shoot microbes in your face. Shadow Realms. Quantum Drive is a production of The Geek Generation. If you like this show, be sure to check out our other podcasts on The Geek Generation Network at thegeekgeneration.com.
1: If you'd like to support the show and get access to exclusive bonus podcasts along with other perks, you can visit our Patreon campaign at thegeekgeneration.com slash support.
0: You can follow Quantum Drive on Twitter at Quantum Drive Pod and me at Logan.
1: You can follow me on Twitter at playkatieplay and on Twitch at Katie Peters Plays, and Katie is spelled K-A-T-I-E.
0: Please rate the show and write a review on Apple Podcasts. If you do, we may read your review on an upcoming episode.
1: Finally, questions and comments can be sent to QuantumDrive at thegeekgeneration.com.
0: We're out of here for now, but we'll see you soon
1: in, in the, the future. future.